If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 11. It is uh, it's really good to be with you all, me, you know, from my house and uh, where you're at. We're all in this together. So um, it feels, just feels uh, really good to be here and to be with you. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 11, and then um, I'll pray, and we'll get into our text today. Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked Those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain down fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Let's pray. God, I I, um, I pray specifically that you would give us a higher, a more rich and robust perspective that translates into changed lives, that this um, quarantine, this shelter in place, this thing that we're collectively living through, even globally, would not be wasted on us, that you would have your way in working all things together for good, bolstering us, making us, give us buoyancy, faith, trust, hope, and do that through this psalm and through the scriptures this morning. We pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I got a text from my friend uh, Tim this last week who lives in London, and he texted me, he he said, quote, London is officially on police-enforced lockdown. And I was like, wow, that sounds really, really intense. And so, of course, I look it up, and I wanted to know the rules and what he's going through. I look up news stories and all that other stuff. As I was looking it up, I found that they were, uh, the, the rules in London are almost exactly the same rules we have here in California, but we call ours shelter in place. One sounds like our house is our refuge, and the other sounds like our house is our prison. Shelter in place versus lockdown, virtually almost the same thing. But it actually doesn't matter what you call this. We're all experiencing it in both ways. I would imagine some of you wish that California did call it a lockdown because exactly how you feel right now. You feel like we're in solitary, I'm in solitary confinement. And there are others, and I know who you are, that you're living your best life right now. You're an introvert and you get to stay in your sweats all day and work from home, but you get to still talk people, talk to people and see people without like any other of the people that you don't really necessarily want to see. And for you, you're living a sheltered life. You're living your best life. But what if refuge wasn't found in a home or in a prison or in a physical place at all? What would it be like to learn how to find our shelter in God? to make him your resting place, to make him your refuge, no matter what's going on around you or even inside of you. Now, this is what I I think and believe that we can learn from this psalm. This psalm is a psalm of trust. It's a song of confidence. It's about a person, namely King David, whose world is being threatened, yet he finds a way to take shelter in God. 
And I think we see in this text, there are two invitations, two voices that we can choose to listen to when our world is under threat. There's either an invitation to panic or there's an invitation to shelter in God. There's a voice that says we must panic and run and flee. And there's the other one that says shelter in God. So let's look at both of these invitations, both of these voices. The first one, there's an invitation to panic. Notice in verses one, And to the end of verses three, they're all in quotations. So if you look at your Bible, those verses are in quotations. These are actually the words of David's advisors, his his confidants, um, the advice of his well-intentioned friends. They say to him, the foundations are being destroyed. Therefore, flee, run, hide. Now the word foundations here refer to society. What's happening in real time for David was that the institutions that maintain social order were collapsing all around him. Even though he was the king, he could not help it. His his whole society was disintegrating right before his eyes in real time. The things that were in place to make social order possible are being shaken and destroyed. That's what the word foundation means. When, When his advisors say the foundation society is crumbling right now, you need to run. When we think of the foundations that keep our social order possible, We think of things like the economy or the streets and public places being places of safety. I even think of people. In order for social order to be kept in place, the people that I come in contact with have to be safe. But right now, it feels like we're living in a moment when all of that seems to be tested. I wouldn't say our society is crumbling necessarily, but when you see pictures of the marina or the mission with stores and shops all boarded up, because of the fear of of looting or looters, when we hear of news of our economy, when we hear the conflicting news and stories about what all this means and how how long all of this will last, we can all sense the foundations of our society being shaken. I think we all feel that right now. And what happens is panic. I think that's the natural response. When we hear this, we all sort of panic. A couple weeks ago, I got a text saying that San Francisco might be putting a shelter in order place in the next 24 hours. This was like a couple Sundays ago. And in fact, it was unconfirmed at that time, but in fact, we did 24 hours later go into shelter. And someone just texted me like, this is not confirmed, but I think this is going to happen. The moment I heard that, the moment I got that text, I was like, do I have enough coffee? Do I have enough coffee to make it through this, whatever this is? The moment, I mean, I, I thought of other stuff too. I thought of, you know, my family and the church and all this stuff, but I was like, coffee. Like, what time is it right now? And what time does sight glass close? And can I buy the beans and freeze the beans? Will they stay fresh if I do that? Do I Google that? Do I look that up? Is that something that my grandparents did? Is that still real today? I mean, panic, like real panic set in for just a split second, maybe longer than that. Because social order was about to get disrupted. So his friends ask him, David's friends say in verse three, When the foundations, when society feels like it's being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can you really do when the society around you gives way? And what happens happens when, when your world starts to look like the end of the movie Contagion, where like for reals, things start happening like that? What can you do? And what they say to King David is you actually can't do anything. You can't do nothing. You can't do anything, therefore you should flee. You should run, you should hide. And what's interesting here is they say that to David's soul. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse one. 
How then can you say to me, to me, that word in Hebrew is nefesh. That's the Hebrew word we have translated soul, which isn't the best translation. This word describes what makes us humans, our essential being. But because soul isn't the best translation, because there's, a, I think there's a lot of baggage with soul in our, in our English. We think of soul as separate from the body, but that's not what this word means in Hebrew. My friend Tim Mackey translates this verse, why do you say to my very being? So David is asking his advisors, why are you saying to the, like the deepest part of me, all of my deeply held beliefs that we have as, that I have as a person? Why are you saying to all of my deepest needs? Why are you saying to all of my innermost desires and strongest hopes? Why are you saying this stuff to me? Why are you trying to strike fear at the very core of me? To speak to someone's nefesh is to try and influence that person at the most intimate level. So what was happening here was that these advisors were trying to strike panic in the heart of David, and were trying to chip away at David's confidence. They were trying to chip away at David's hope and even his identity. And this is exactly what happens when panic sets in, when we're disrupted in some ways. In a lot of ways, this is kind of what the news cycles have been doing, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. Panic has a way of speaking to our core. It has a way of getting into our soul. And that's what shakes us. It has a way of shaking our beliefs and our hopes. I think for a lot of us, a lot of things that we held on to, things that we hoped in, the things that we really believed in are kind of getting shaken to the core. And what I appreciate about, about this psalm is that it shows us what it feels like to panic, what it feels like when the foundations of our own world, whether globally or our own personal world, get shaken. There was an, an article this last week in the Harvard Business Review about how we're all feeling this in real time, that we're collectively feeling this. The article was entitled, The Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. And it said that many of us are going through the stages of grief right now, but like all grief, we do this, we don't do this linearly. So we're all feeling this collectively, all in different ways at different times. It says, quote, there's denial, which is which we say a lot of early on, like this virus won't affect us. It says there's anger. You're making me stay home and taking away my activities. There's bargaining. Okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be better, right? There's sadness. I don't know when this will end. And there's finally acceptance. This is happening. I have to figure out how to proceed. And I think in a lot of ways, this article is right on. This is true. We're all grieving. All, I think all of us are in some way. There's like a collective grief in the air. And you might be at different stages of this because we know in many ways, life for us will change forever because of this. The foundations are being shaken. But here's the question. Where do you flee? Where do you go? David's advisors tell him to flee to the mountains, to run and hide and escape. Actually, the, 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 the verse literally says, fly away like a little bird. And remember, they're speaking to his very being as a human, his soul. They're trying to say there's no hope. The things that you once trusted in are gone. Your rhythms, your favorite things, your future are all gone. And when that happens, the question is, where do you go? I think of the disciples after the crucifixion. After the crucifixion of Christ, they all, uh, a lot of them went back to being fishermen, what they did before. Like in times when our foundations get shook, 
We could be tempted to go back to old addictions or old patterns or even old ways of coping. There has been a huge surge in online pornography these last couple of weeks. And it kind of feels like everyone I know is binge watching Tiger King. Like, where do you flee? Where do you go? When, where's, where, what's your mountain? What's your mountain that, 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 that little voice in your head is yelling, run there, go there. We all have that voice that says that. Go there for shelter, go there for comfort, go there for refuge. Where is that place, either mentally or physically, where you're going to, where it feels like you can control your own world again? Now, these are important questions to sit with and ask yourself, to even journal right now if you're taking notes. Where do I go? What's, the, what's this voice, what's my vo- this voice in my head saying, run here, go there? Where is that? Because what we see here is that there's an actually, that's the invitation to panic and hide. That voice actually uh, exemplifies the invitation or the call to panic and to hide and run. But the second thing that we see is the invitation to shelter in God. David begins his song already predetermined in his heart what he will do and what he will choose. Because the question that's always before us, whether in small things like our personal foundations being shook, or the upending of our life as we know it, the question is always the same. Will you flee to your, quote, mountain, or will you find refuge in God? This is how David opens his psalm. In Yahweh, I take refuge. And before the, the psalm starts, before he even gets into like all the different options, he just declares, he says, In Yahweh, I will take refuge. It's not even an argument. This is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to take refuge in God. What kind of perspective is needed? What kind of truth must we metabolize for us to say the same thing? When faced with two options, to panic or to take refuge in God, we say, I will take refuge in God. What's needed for that? Well, I think it's found in verse four. Look at verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple, The Lord is on his heavenly throne. These two things. We need both of these truths and both of these realities to find shelter in God. The first one speaks to God's presence, and the second one speaks to God's power. When David says the Lord is in his holy temple, the temple was the way God was was present among his people. It was the way God came near and lived among them. It was why God brought Israel out of Egypt so that he could live among them and be their God and that he would live with them and they would live with him. The temple mediated God's holy presence so that he could actually live with them because he was too holy. So he said, I'm gonna live among you. I'm gonna set up all of this temple ritual so that it mediates my presence because I really wanna live among you. And any way I can find to do that, I will do that. So he delivers them. He sets up a tabernacle, eventually a temple to live in their midst. So what David is saying here is this. The earth might be coming apart. The foundations of society might be crumbling. I love that he doesn't deny that. It's true. It was at that time, the foundations of society were coming down. And David's like, oh, it's not, it's not true. It's not real. He says, no, no, it, it, might, it might be true. Even so, God is still in his temple. Now, what does that mean? It means this, God is still present. God is still with us. God is still among us. Don't you see and understand that the earth has been shook and societies have come and gone over and over and over again, and yet God 
is after humanity, always inviting them into a kingdom that can never be shaken, a relationship that can never be threatened. See, we worship Jesus as our Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God is present in this. And this is, this is how we find refuge in God. We ask God, what is God doing right now? in the fact that he's present in our pain, that he's in our grief, that he's even in our shock. He's in our overworking and working. He's with, he's here, he's among us. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David says, uh, the, the way I find refuge in God is I remember and I cultivate the presence of God in my life. I cultivate the presence. I get in the presence of God. I hide myself in the present presence of God. God is with us. That's one of the ways that we find refuge. But secondly, the reality David speaks about is the power of God, not just his presence, his power. He says God is not only in his temple, but God is on his heavenly throne. See, one of them's on earth and one's in heaven. One's on earth, God's present with us, but one's in heaven where God rules and God reigns. If we look to earth alone and judge the appearance of what is happening by by the moment we're living in right now, we'll lose sight of God's righteous government and the kingdom that he's bringing, that he's enacting, that he's actually on the cross has already declared it's finished. Corrie ten Boom, the Dutch writer who lived through the Holocaust and was sent to three concentration camps during World War II for hiding Jews, she once famously said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. If you look at God, you will be at rest. David is saying, look at God on his throne when the foundations are being destroyed. Look at God and you will see one who is moved with compassion to act in our suffering and at the same time is immovable in the face of crisis. You see both, the presence of God means God is moved to act and his, him being on the throne means that he's immovable. He can't, be, he can't be shook. So while God is with us and suffers with us, he is also strong and immovable and he knows how to cause all things to work together for good. But not only do we see God's presence and power here, we also see an invitation into intimacy. Look what it says in verse five and the very last line of the Psalm. Verse five says, the Lord examines the righteous. And the very last verse says, the upright will see his face. Seeing God's face in the scriptures is an idiom for intimacy. What these two verses mean is that God looks at us and that we look at him. There's like a face-to-face interaction because the face of God is the source of life. The face of God refers to God's presence and the access to the life that he brings. Every night, um, I bless my daughter and I help put her to bed. And I, I grab her and then she gets her little lammy pacifier. And then she, and this is like my, one of my favorite night parts of every single day. And she grabs it and then she pulls it up against both of us and she wiggles on me. She's like, oh, and she just grabs her pacifier. And then I say to her, Junie, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, I say. His face shine upon you and bring you peace. 
See that face shine, you know, that in, in, the, in, the, in the ironic blessing? That face shine means, means that God would look on us and his presence, his intimacy would be mediated to us. I pray every single night that God's favor would rest on my daughter and that, that as she sleeps, like God, she would feel close to God, that she would really feel the intimate presence of God. That's what face shine means, that we literally would feel the warmth of intimacy with God. What this psalm is saying that even when our world falls apart, there's an invitation to a face-to-face encounter with God where he examines and where he sees you and that we get to see him. And if that's true, when our world shakes, we get this opportunity and invitation to behold the face of God. Then what Charles Spurgeon said was true. If it is true that, that in, in, in these times when the world is shaken and, then it, and that's an invitation to see the face of God, then what Charles Spurgeon said is absolutely true. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Meaning, I have learned to accept the trials and the storms of life because they throw me up into intimacy with God, into refuge in God. And I've learned to just say, yes, these trials, this suffering, the stuff that that happens to me and my world gets shaken, it throws me into the unshakable presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that your presence would be mediated to your people right now that your presence would be mediated to every single person listening through as we receive communion right now, as we understand that you're with us, that those two options before us, one of them being that we panic. And I know there are probably many people right now that are living in this like, like this underlying panic that just sitting right under the surface and they don't know, it's like a nerve. Every time they touch it, it like shocks them. I pray that we would see that voice and hear that voice of panic and choose the voice that says, find refuge in God. I pray that we would hide in you and hope in you and be at peace in you now and forevermore in Jesus' name, amen.